0: audio was recorded at Stone Oak Bible Church. For more information about our church, or for more resources, visit us at stoneoakbible.com. Church again, good morning. Let's, let's talk about the end times. Got your attention, didn't it? Let's talk about what happens in the end. I have found, follow with me here. Some of your defenses are up right now because I said end times. I get that, but follow with me. Um, I have found there are two types of people, two types of Christians when it comes to the end times. We have chart people and post-it people. Now, if you're a, a, a chart person, you think of the end times often, but you think of it extensively. You love a good end times conversation. And typically, that manifests itself in charts. I, I looked up a chart, and, and um, it's not there right now. You'll have to take my word for it. Um, you want to talk about Daniel. You want to talk about Revelation, how they all kind of fit. You love conversations like that. That's a chart person. Now, let's compare that with post-it people. Post-it people, you prefer to keep it simple. Oh, go back, go back, because I want you to see this. If we can. All right. How about that? That's awesome, isn't it? Some of you are real nervous now. But this is just a real simple chart. It was just a real simple chart about what happens in the end. Now, um, need a PhD for it, but that's beside the point. So that's chart people. Now let's go to post-it people. Post-it people see this and go, ah, let's just, Jesus is going to return. You trade in the end times chart for your post-it. You know who you are. You know if you're a post-it person or a chart person. Uh, and listen, I, I want to say this. I'm not like promoting one over the other here. Uh, I'm not calling you to be one or the other because I've met some incredible chart people and post-it people. Some people who love Jesus, search the scriptures, you're great. And then I've also met some post-it people who are just post-it people because they're lazy. That's not good. And I've met some chart people who are just chart people because they're know-it-alls. That's also not good. That's not, that's not good, but you, you probably know who you are. Uh, go back to the, to the chart for me. Um, here's why I bring this up. Here's why I start here. Um, I have a fear. My fear is that regardless of, of who you are, but especially if you're a post-it person, my fear is that we will admit to having a bit of a hazy understanding about the end in this hazy understanding of end times, has bled into having a hazy understanding of resurrection. My fear is that it's been lumped together. So you have trumpets, seals, horses, lampstands, dragons, resurrection. You see what happened? See what happened in this chart? You see resurrection in little slivers, right? My fear is that it's just kind of gotten lumped in. Here's the problem with that church. What we've seen over the past several weeks, what we're going to continue to see, is resurrection is a gospel issue. It's a central issue. It's a primary issue. Um, Paul has laid out for us already in, in chapter 15 of 1 Corinthians that resurrection our theology of resurrection is directly tied to the gospel directly tied our christian faith rests in the literal and bodily resurrection of our savior jesus christ in our christian hope rests on the literal resurrection of his saints This is our Christian faith, our Christian understanding of of our hope, and here's what I I mean. A hazy understanding of the resurrection will most often lead us to a hazy understanding of the gospel that we stand on. And to you, Post-it people, I love you. Um, You might afford to be a little hazy on what the fifth seal is in Revelation 6, verse 9. I'll give you that. But we cannot afford to be hazy when we think about, when we understand the resurrection. We can't afford it. More than just that, it's really important that we understand the resurrection in a Christian way. Uh, To understand it the way scriptures lay out for us because there's a few misunderstandings that we really do need to engage. Uh, The first, the scriptures do not teach that at death your body and soul just cease to exist. That is not a Christian understanding of what happens when you breathe your last breath here in this life. That's a very modern, kind of a naturalist view But that's not what Scripture set before us. A little over a week ago uh, in our media, we saw the death of Stephen Hawking. He was a a brilliant, famous scientist. Uh, He died at the age of, I believe, 76, if I can remember right. Um, He was arguably the most influential scientist since Einstein. Uh, he was he was brilliant, and he was ambitious. I remember hearing him interviewed where he talked about how scientific advancement would get so great and move so, uh, so much further that it would answer all of the problems of the world, problems of purpose and design and origin, that, that soon scientific advancement would be able to answer all these questions for us. That's ambitious, really ambitious. And, and in an interview in... The guardian in 2011 hawking said i'm not i'm not afraid of death i'm also not in a hurry for it he added but then i want to read this i want to quote this quote him here he said i regard the brain as a computer which will stop working when its components fail there's no heaven or afterlife for broken down computers that's a fairy tale story for people afraid of the dark As we hear that, that should be heartbreaking. That should be heartbreaking. For anyone who knows and believes the truth of the gospel, that should be heartbreaking because that is not a Christian understanding of life, of death, of eternity. That's not a Christian understanding of resurrection. We do not believe that the body and the soul just goes, when we die and ceases to exist. That's not what the scripture teaches. The second thing that the scripture also does not teach, though, is that at death your body dies and your soul lives on. That the body somehow ceases to exist, but the soul lives on forever without a body. The Bible does not teach that at death all material is gone forever. The Bible does not teach that we will spend eternity bodiless, floating up in the clouds. In other words, the Bible doesn't just teach a spiritual resurrection. It does teach that. It just doesn't only teach that. Many people have thought this and taught this through through the ages, Uh, mystics and spiritualists, this understanding that the material is evil, that at death the material is gone and we get to exist in pure form and spirit is good, material is evil. There's a problem with this view and that is this. The Bible doesn't teach that. The Bible does not teach that the resurrection is only a spiritual event. As we look at our text today, let's just be honest, this appears to be the problem that the Corinthian church was facing. They didn't know what to do with the resurrection because they were struggling in separating the body and the soul. They had a category for when we die, our soul continues. They believed that, but what they were struggling with is this, what do we do with the body? What do we do with this? And for for them and for many of us in our culture, the resurrection has been seen as a spiritual resurrection only, but we aren't quite sure what to do with this whole body thing. Honestly, this understanding, as Paul is setting before us, is, is, is dangerous to the gospel. This understanding of resurrection is dangerous to our gospel. And it will, as Paul showed us, will show us, it will weaken our understanding of Jesus and his work on the cross. It attacks the very fundamental truth of the gospel. And the reason for this is very simple. Our gospel rests on an empty tomb. It rests on this. Without this, we have nothing. Our gospel rests on a Savior who lives and who bodily, literally rose as a first fruit of what is to come. Paul says, without this, we have nothing. We stand on this truth, that our Savior literally and bodily rose from the dead, and we will celebrate that next weekend. If our understanding of the resurrection is anything less than that, we have done great damage in weakening our understanding of the gospel. Don't you dare spiritualize it. The understanding that the resurrection is only a spiritual event is not a Christian understanding of the resurrection. Church, our, our, our Bible does not teach that the body and soul simply stop existing at death. The Bible also does not teach that our body stops existing and our soul lives on at death. The Bible teaches clearly that both the body and the soul continue on after death through the resurrection, The Bible teaches a holistic resurrection, spirit, body, just like Jesus. Uh, Philippians 3 says that our citizenship is in heaven. We're waiting for a Savior. And then in verse 21, it says, who will transform our lowly body to be like his glorious body. We will be transformed, made new. We know that our Savior lives, that he has a real and a resurrected body. Amen? Amen. amen? amen? All right, we can say amen to that one. We know this, and we know that we will resurrect like Christ. In other words, just as we believe and we know that Jesus is not up there floating bodiless light right now in the clouds, neither will we. Neither will we be. This is not the Christian understanding of resurrection. Now, I wanted to start here because this is foundational to our understanding of the gospel. And and like I said, this is exactly what the Corinthian church was wrestling with when they were thinking about the resurrection, as Paul was talking about the resurrection. And so having said that together, I want us to look at our text. Verse 35. We'll start here. Verse 35. Verse 35. Listen to this, but someone will ask, how are the dead raised? What kind of body do they come? And again, like we said, this idea of bodily resurrection is quite foreign to them. So they're asking, how could this happen? How does this happen? What kind of body are we talking about here? What kind of resurrection are we talking about here? Is it not very similar questions to the ones that we have today? The questions we ask. In fact, many of us might be here this morning asking very similar questions. You may be, I'll pick on you again, a post-it person. And maybe you haven't given much time to thinking about this kind of stuff. Maybe you're here and you haven't thought much about your resurrection. Maybe you're here and you would say, you know what? I thought about Jesus' resurrection, but I believe it, yea, and amen. He is raised from the dead. I believe that I stand on that. But you may be here and you haven't thought much about your resurrection. Welcome to the Corinthian church. Maybe you're here and you haven't thought about what happens then. I would venture to say many of us are in this camp. I believe God has something for us. Verse 36, let's continue. Uh, You have to love this, by the way. Paul says, you foolish person ouch paul you have to appreciate what paul does here he creates this hypothetical person and this hypothetical person asks a hypothetical question that just so happens to be a question that the corinthians asked and then paul's this hypothetical paul calls this hypothetical person a fool well if the shoe fits right um if the shoe fits. So Paul here calls this hypothetical guy who looks a lot like the Corinthian church, who asks the same questions as the Corinthian church. Paul calls them a this man a a fool. It's brilliant what Paul does here. So then he continues. He says, "You foolish person, what you sow does not come to life unless it dies. And what you sow is not the body that is to be, but a bare kernel, perhaps of wheat or some other Grain. So Paul here is making this really beautiful and helpful analogy of a seed being planted into the ground. So see this with me. Follow this with me. What happens to a seed when it's planted? It gets buried and it ceases to be just a seed, right? It, it, it's sowed into the ground, not as what it will be, but as a bare kernel or a seed. And from that, it grows up from the ground into something new, Something brand new, it transforms, and I love this analogy, especially considering the fact that Paul just told us in verse 20 and 23 that Jesus is the first fruit of what is to come, meaning he's the first of the harvest. He's the first of the harvest. The literal and bodily resurrection of Jesus was the first of what is to come, that is incredible. And Paul here is going to drive this deeper as we consider not only the resurrection of our Savior, but this morning we're going to consider the resurrection of us. So Paul is going to dig this down in deeper. And as he does that, he's going to direct our focus up. So let's look up before we look down. Here's the up, not just to the harvest, but to the God of the harvest. Verse 38, but God gives it a body as he has chosen. To each kind of seed its own body. For not all flesh is the same. But there is one kind for humans, another for animals, another for birds, another for fish. There are heavenly bodies and earthly bodies. But the glory of the heavenly is of one kind and the glory of the earthly is of another. Verse 41. There is, no, there is one glory of the sun, another glory of the moon, and another glory of the stars. For the stars differ from star In glory. Now, what on earth is happening here? Paul is helping these Corinthians grapple with something. He's helping them grapple with what they cannot understand. Um, Here's the driving point of what we just read. Here's the driving point. Even though we cannot fully imagine, we cannot fully comprehend our resurrected bodies, even though we can't fully wrap our minds around what it's going to be like. Even though we we can't fully understand, fully grasp it, does not mean that they aren't real. That they won't be tangible, that they won't be real, just as Jesus' body was tangible, and it's real. Paul in this text directs the Corinthians focused up to the God, to the Creator. Paul reminds them, follow here, listen here, Paul reminds us that God creates all kinds of bodies, each to fit in the environment he has placed them in. So from humans to animals, from bird to fish, heavenly, earthly, even sun, the moon, and the stars. God creates all kinds of bodies, each created for his glory, all created to function in the environment he has placed them All of it points up to God, the creator. When our understanding fails, look up. Look up. And from there, we can look down. So Paul considers us now to look down and consider our own resurrection, verse 42. So is it with the resurrection of the dead? What is so imperishable? What is raised imperishable? It is sown in dishonor. It is raised in glory. It is sown in weakness. It is raised in power. It is sown a natural body. It is raised a spiritual body. If there is a natural body, there is also a spiritual body. Do you hear it again? The incredible seed analogy. Like a seed planted into the ground, growing into a harvest and a crop. And that seed is planted and raised up as something altogether different. Different. What is perishable, raised imperishable. What is in dishonor is now in glory. What is weak is now in power. Natural is raised a spiritual body. In other words, Paul is so clear here. What you are now, what we are now, will be like a seed planted into the ground. And you'll be raised into something new. A resurrection, new body, resurrected body, a body that is real and a body that is tangible. And at the same time, that new body is something different than you are now. Because what is weak now is strong then. What is now aging, what is now mortal, what is now sick, what is now struggling, what is now struggling with sin will be buried and it will be raised into something new. Something imperishable, something eternal. Now, as we think about this, as we think about our resurrected bodies, which is something that we probably don't do often, as we think about this, our main example is Jesus. I mean, we have texts throughout Scripture that talk about resurrection, talk about resurrected bodies. We have Matthew 27, where tombs will empty. We have um, Acts 17.31, 1 Thessalonians 4.16, even our texts this morning that talk and they deal with resurrected bodies. But our greatest and most tangible example is the resurrected body of Jesus Christ. And I want you to think about this. I won't have time to go into depth like I would like to, but think about what we know about Jesus' resurrected body. I want you to think about this. Jesus literally... Raised from the dead, empty tomb, and yet we see in Scripture that his body was first recognizable. Follow me? People saw him and said, Jesus, we see you, we know you. It's recognizable. This was Jesus' body. We also see in Scripture that his body was physical. It was touchable, tangible. Uh, we see that, you remember Thomas. He asked, can I, can I touch you? And he touched Jesus, Touchable. Tangible. We know this about Jesus in, in John 20. His resurrected body. It was real, it was physical, it was tangible, it was recognizable, but at the same time, we have to be honest, it was something altogether different. I don't know if you thought about this. But see, he was recognizable. We already mentioned that. But do you remember when Mary Magdalene was outside of the tomb in, in um, John 20? He wasn't there. She came out and and she turns around. Verse 14 says, having said that, she turned around and saw Jesus was standing there, but didn't, she did not know that it was Jesus. What? He's recognizable, but yet different. There was something different. We saw the same thing in Luke 24 on the road to Emmaus where Jesus appears to these individuals, and they don't quite recognize him yet. See, he was recognizable, but there was something different. Also, think about this. This one will blow your mind. He was touchable, right? Thomas, touch. Thomas, touch. We get it. He was touchable. He was tangible. But you know what happened right before Thomas? Right before Thomas touched, we read this in, in John 20, 26. Eight days later, his disciples were inside again, and Thomas was with them about to touch, although the doors were locked. Jesus came and stood among them and said, peace be with you. What? What is happening? What is going on here? We don't, we know Jesus is knowable and he's touchable, but yet he's different because he clearly doesn't share the earthly limitations that you and I share. In other words, the scriptures don't tell us how he did this, but somehow locked doors and walls are no longer a problem for Jesus. There's something different. Church, this is the resurrected body of the Savior, of our Savior that we see in scripture. And church, this is a glimpse of what is to come for you and for me. You realize that. We will have literal tangible, recognizable bodies like Jesus Christ, and they will be wonderfully different. I don't know if you're going to walk through walls. That would be awesome. But we will be different, and we will be perfect. This is, this is ours in the resurrection. Now, for all of you, whether you're posted or chart, I'll start with you posted people again. I love you, and I want you to listen to me. This is not hooky-kooky secondary stuff. This is not something secondary. This is not something you should ignore. In other words, if you have your post-it, this should probably be on it. This should probably be on it. And for you chart people, this is not just one of the things of importance later in the end times. Not, it's not just one of the important things for you to consider and plot on a chart. No, this is primary. This is our hope in Jesus Christ is our Savior. Paul says, "If this is all that there is, when I say this, I mean this life, this right now. If this is it, Paul says, then we should be we should be pitied. It's church to strip this away from the gospel. To strip this away from the gospel is to lose our gospel hope." I want you to listen to this as Paul is going to begin to direct our attention back to the pure gospel. Last week, church, we, we looked at a passage that calls us, It called us to consider Jesus as the true and the better Adam. If you missed it, I encourage you to listen because it's so foundational what Paul does here. But Paul's going to continue to build on it. And listen to what he is going to do. So Jesus did what Adam could not do. So if you think of the distinction, you have in Adam, death, in Christ, life. You have in Adam, sin, Christ, righteousness. In Adam, judgment, in Christ, justification. Think of this. You have Adam who was created and placed in a sinless world, who then chose to sin and who then took everyone under him and brought judgment on them. That was Adam. Then you have Jesus in comparison, born into a sinful world, yet to- chose and walked in perfect righteousness. And as he did that, he offered living hope and life and peace to all under him, salvation to all under him. Jesus is a true and the better Adam. So Paul continues with this, and I want you to look at this in verse 45. Thus it is written, the first man, Adam, became a living being. And the last Adam, this being Jesus again, the true and the better Adam, the last Adam became a life-giving spirit. But it is not the, the spiritual that is first, but the material and then the spiritual. Again, this is a reference back to our seed analogy. What's planted changes, grows. Then in verse 47, the first man was not from the earth, or the first man was from the earth, a man of dust. The second man is from heaven. As was the, the man of dust, so also are those who are of the dust. And as is the man of heaven, so also are those who are of heaven. Listen to this. Just as we born the image of the man of dust, we shall also bear the image of the man of heaven. In other words, church. We have all been born into sin. We have all been born into Adam. We bear that brokenness. We bear that sickness. We bear it. All of us bear Adam's image. All of us are bearing Adam's image right now. And just as assuredly as you are bearing Adam's image right now, church, there will come a day when you will bear the image of Jesus' resurrected body, the new and the better and the true Adam. And what does this mean, the image of Christ? Because I thought we were all created in the image of God, right? Church, this is a reference again, right back to the resurrection. See, right now you are living in this mortal body. Like Adam, you are born into sin, you get sick. You struggle. You experience pain, sin and even death and then but then in Christ we will bear his image meaning we will be resurrected like him we will be a, given a new body like him one that will not get sick suffer experience pain or death one day we will be given new bodies bodies like our savior because Jesus is our first the first fruit of what is to come in church that is fantastic news Jesus Christ offers resurrection The hope of the gospel is resurrection. That's the hope we stand on. And that is ours in Jesus. And church, I want you to hear me. I want to close with this this morning. Because this this, this is a really important truth in scripture. Every single one of us will experience resurrection. No matter who you are, every single one of us will experience resurrection. Resurrection. And I want you to think through these texts that I'm about to read. You don't need to turn with me, because I'm going to be flying, and I will put them on the screen for you, okay? Um, But regardless of who you are, regardless, you and I, we will experience resurrection. Your death is not the end. So with that in mind, listen to this, Daniel 12, verse 2, and many of those who sleep in the dust of the earth shall awake some to everlasting life and some to shame and everlasting contempt. John five twenty-eight through 29. Do not marvel at this, for an hour is coming when all who are in the tombs will hear his voice and come out. Those who have done good to the resurrection of life, those who have done evil to the resurrection of judgment. Revelation 21, 1 through 8. Then I saw the new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and first earth had passed away. And the sea was no more. And I saw the holy city, a new Jerusalem, coming down from heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. Listen to this, verse 3. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them, and they will be his people, and God himself will be with them as their God. Verse 4, he will wipe away every tear from their eyes, and death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning, nor crying, nor pain anymore, for the former things have passed away. Verse 5, and he who was seated on the throne said, Behold, I am making all things new. Also, he said, write this down, for these words are trustworthy and true. And he said to me, it is done. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. To the thirsty I will give from the spring of the water of life without payment. To the one who conquers will have this heritage. And I will be his God, and he will be my son. Verse 8, but as for the cowardly, the faithless, the detestable, as for murderers, the sexually immoral, sorcerers, idolaters, and all liars, their portion will be in the lake that burns with fire and sulfur, which is the second death. Church, whether you are a post-it person or a chart person, one thing is resoundingly clear. We will all experience resurrection. All of them. A resurrection to life and salvation, or a resurrection to judgment, what Revelation calls the second death. This is why Paul said earlier in this chapter, verse 13 says, But if there is no resurrection of the dead, then not even Christ has been raised. And if Christ has not been raised, then our preaching is in vain and your faith is in vain. Why does Paul say this? Because death is not the end. Death is not the end. And not only is the resurrection the hope we have in the gospel, but the idea, the understanding that death is not the end should call all of us to consider the gospel and what Jesus Christ has done. This life is not the end. So this morning we come to Christ, and I just pray that we respond to the gospel. And through Christ, let's consider the hope of resurrection that we have As we close and right before I pray, I'd like to just read this portion of Scripture one more time, and as I do, would you just think on this, and would you just truly take this in? Because this is the hope that we have in Christ. Listen to this. Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them, and they will be his people, and God himself will be with them as their God. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes. And death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning or crying nor pain anymore for the former things have passed away. That is the hope we have in Christ. Let's pray together. God, thank you for our hope. Thank you for Jesus. Thank you for resurrection. We stand on this. Our hope is in this. Lord, would you help us through your spirit to live lives in light of this hope. It's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen. Amen.